I want to uh, I want to take a minute and um, reiterate our announcements, not because you forgot them, but because they're important as to the church that we want to be and the church that we're becoming. We take some time and we talk about trunk or treat. What a great opportunity for us to say to a community that has been locked down, their kids been told you can't go to school, you have to go to school online, and we're going to say to them, come here, look some people that love you in the face, and we're going to give you something. We're going to give you something that you want, and we're going to do so in the name of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, bring a car, bring two. If you've got a friend that says, hey, I'm not doing anything on that night except trying to keep the lights off so kids don't bug me, then I know who you are. I won't say any names, but budge. Um, <laughs> if, if that's you, then why don't you, why don't you just bring a friend with you and say, hey, park your car next to me. We're going to have a great night for a couple hours and have fun. And when we're done, we can go egg the pastor's house. All right. So that's a great opportunity for you to introduce people to the grace that's going to come out of this church and does come out of this church. The second one is our prayer days. We want to fill up the second. That's our biggest uh, concern. We want the second. Uh, so if you can give us two hours during the day, fill in a slot, uh, come in. We don't know if people are coming. That's not the point. The point is, is that we're making it available to a community that's hurting, to a people that are hurting. And so come and join us. You don't have to be like a, a super fancy prayer. You just need to listen to somebody who says, hey, I, I would like to pray for my family. Let me pray for your family. You don't have to even know all the details. And it's not talking about two hours of just, you know, that I, that makes me tired thinking about it. But if you can come and just in, and join us on these Fridays, that would be amazing. We're going to do something. One more thing. We didn't put it on the calendar because I just wanted to tell you about it this morning. On November 1st, that's a Sunday morning. Uh, do you know what happens a couple days after that? Have you heard there's an election season? You heard that? Well, we're, here's what we're going to do. I just believe that um, God wants to do something in our nation. And so that Sunday morning, we're going to change our service around. And we're actually going to come together as a family and pray for our nation. We're going to lead us through some time. I believe, uh, I believe that, that it's time that we understand that America is not God's chosen people. I think you know that. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a place in God's story. We do know that. I travel the world as much as or more than most of you. And the truth is, is everywhere I go, I can see how God has used this nation to bless people, to feed people, to bring the gospel. And we also know that in the, in the, in the culture we're living in, those battles are very intense. And I just think as a community of faith, we need to come together and pray together. It won't be political. It'll be spiritual. It won't be, it won't be standing and praying for our will to be done in God's name. It will be an opportunity for us maybe to confess and spend some time and confess for our nation that we've messed some things up along the way. And so that's on the, the 2nd of November. And I want to invite you to come and pray with us. We're going to dedicate the whole service to that and spend some time together. And so I just want you to know that ahead of time. If you have a Bible, would you um, open up to Matthew chapter 6? We're going to look at verses 19 to uh, 34. But before we do, in 2007, our world changed. 
Everything about our world changed. It changed completely, and it changed some for the better, some for the good, but it changed, and we're never changing it back. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. It's the iPhone. The iPhone came and showed up on our doorstep, and for the first time in human history, I had the world at my fingertips like never before. And some of you have iPhones and iPads and other kinds of devices and tablets all coming out of that mentality. You see, in, in, 2000, in, in, the, in 1985, I went to Argentina, Brazil, and Paraguay. I was there for three and a half weeks. Guess how many times I spoke to my family? If you said zero, you're right. There was just no way to communicate with them in the places we were. The little villages, the towns that we were serving Jesus, we couldn't reach home. And uh, we used to, if you wrote a letter, I would have gotten home before the letter got there. That was in 1985. And then in 2002, I took a team to India. We managed three or four phone calls, a couple, uh, uh, we went into like an internet cafe, and we were able to post something about uh, what we were doing. But in that, in, that, in that year, it cost me about 500 bucks for data. And that was just with a couple calls. It was crazy, wasn't it? And then in, in, in 2008, I took another team to India. We were there for two weeks. We actually got to text, message, make phone calls every day. And we communicated. It cost me about $800 for that whole time. But I got to communicate back and forth, and the iPhone began to change. And then in 2007, or 2008, after the iPhone came, I was literally able to say to my wife, how are you today? And within seconds, get an answer back. I'm doing good. It's 2 a.m. Go to sleep. Right? And uh, I, that's, everything changed from that point on. The way we access information, the way we communicate, the way we do things. And now I know some people say, I don't like texting. I love it. I love being able to say, hey, I'm on my way. I'm ready to see you. Hey, I'm in the front over here on this side. I love it. I love being able to, to literally be, remember, uh, I remember being a kid watching the Rockford Files. Some of you know that, st that show, right? And I remember one of the bad guys had a phone in his car and I thought, that's the coolest thing ever. I want to be a bad guy if I get a phone. And now I have a phone in my pocket and I didn't even have to be a bad guy to do it. You see, the world changed in 2007. In 2010, I, I took a team for 15 days to Africa. And while we were in Africa, we were in South Africa and Swaziland. And it's during the World Cup, and so it's kind of busy and crazy. And we weren't there to see the World Cup, but I wish I was. And, and so it's kind of crazy. And I remember getting lost in South Africa. And when you ask for directions in South Africa, here's what they say. Go two robots down, turn left. Go two more robots, and you're there. It doesn't matter where you are. Those are the same instructions we got five times. When I had done a full lap, and by the ro way, robots are lights, right? By the time I had done a full lap twice around Johannesburg, I realized that I needed to use my GPS. And so I got my phone out and GPS the hotel, and we were there in five minutes. Wow, the world changed, didn't it? Today, today, I can travel anywhere in the world except for Cuba, just about. And I can have real-time contact. Cuba just doesn't use U.S. cell carriers. So when I get there, I buy a, a Cuban phone, and I use, it, use that. 
because the world has changed. Well, in, in 1450, Johannes Gutenberg created the first movement of the iPhone. You know what it was? The printing press. It's exactly right. And when he, pre when he created the printing press, here's what happened. The way the Bible was communicated changed. The way education was perceived changed. When ed education stopped at a certain level. Now it went down even further. And the common person learned to read and write. And now education, and it, the first movement was when he printed that. And that changed everything. And it opened the door. So a few years later in 1517, a guy named Martin Luther, you've heard of him, right? He goes to the Wittenberg door and he tacks 95 theses on the door. I said theses, by the way. He, knocked, he tacked those theses on the door, but he had made copies of them everywhere. And the world began to change, and a reformation came out of it. And then in 1550, there was a guy who said, hey, wouldn't it be great if when we read the Bible, we knew how to find things better? So you know what he did? He put verses and chapters in. He took manuscripts, and now it had been done in the 1300s, but that wasn't received. And then another guy did it in the early 1500s. It wasn't received. But this guy took the manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts, and he added verses. So verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. And now I can say, here's the address of what we're doing. I just told you when we started. Look up Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Well, that didn't exist prior to this guy. And so you would have said, Matthew 6... What's Matthew 6? It's just Matthew. And that's all you would have had. Well, the good of that, what's the big point of a history lesson this morning? Well, here's the, here's the point. The good of that is that now we can find things. Now we can see things. Now we can understand things more quickly. We can access it. You can look it up on a computer, on your phone, and you're just there right away. You're there at the address. Prior to this, prior to 1550, you couldn't do that. The bad of that is that it's shaped sometimes the way we perceive what God was doing. So now in my Bible, here's what it says. Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, introduction. Verses 3 through 12, beatitudes. There's headers, right? So I've got, not only do I have chapters, I have verses, I have headers that, that tell me what it's like. And when I begin to read it and I look at it that way, and by the way, it is taught that way all the time. You read commentaries, if you ever have a chance to kill a few hours and brain cells, read some commentaries, and, and, and it's divided up that way. And that's actually how they, well, the Greek word in this section here and so on, it wasn't the way it was written, and it wasn't the way it was spoken. Jesus didn't stand up in front of the, or sit down in front of his friends and say, now listen, I'm going to give you a message. And in verse 1 of my message, he didn't do that. It was actually just one solid piece. There were no headers. There were no chapters. There were no divisions. So when we come to chapter 6 and we say, oh, look, chapter 6 is about giving to the needy. And then it's about prayer and it's about fasting. And now it's about treasures in heaven. And then it's about worry. Haven't we all heard that maybe before? That wasn't what Jesus was doing. He wasn't trying to teach you about prayer, fasting. He wasn't trying to teach you about giving. He wasn't trying to teach you about tithing, worry, treasures. He was trying to teach us about his kingdom. And he was saying to his friends within earshot of everyone else, listen, in my kingdom, 
I don't want you to do righteousness like everyone else does. I don't want you, and the, the three ways that they did righteousness publicly was prayer, alms, and fasting. He says, no, we're not going to do it that way. In fact, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do it my way, and my Father who is in heaven will see what you're doing, and he will reward you. And what an interesting way to say your Father sees, your Father rewards, because that was not the way they understood God at the time. Your Father sees you. He rewards you. Your Father's paying attention. He rewards you. When my daughter was five, we were in a... Uh, we were in a um, on a walk in my neighborhood, and and she <laughs> she had never lost a race. She was the fastest person ever, because her mom never won. She could have, but she chose not to. Her brother was smaller and slower, and her dad always let her win. So I'm undefeated. I'm five, and I've never lost a race. And now all the cousins are over at the house, and they're visiting, and they're all older, and they're not nice, right? She says, hey guys, let's race, because in her head she's thinking, I'm undefeated, of course I will defeat. All of you, all foes will be vanquished when I run. And she took off running, and within five steps, she was behind and in last place and began to cry. You guys, wait, wait. And I, I don't know how it happened, but I said, Katie, which is strange because her name's Martha. No, her name's Katie. I said, Katie, your dad loves to watch you run. And she turned back and looked at me like. And in the kingdom, Jesus is saying the reason you run changes. See, my daughter was running to win. That was religion of the day. I'm running to be the best. I'm running so you all know how great I am. I'm undefeated in my prayers, my giving, and my fasting. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You run for a father who sees you. And when my daughter made the shift, she now ran not to win, but because her father loved to watch her run. Why do you run? Why do you come to church? Is it because your papa loves to see you run? Because that's what it means in the kingdom when he says, your father who sees in secret will bless you. He will reward you. He's going to scoop you up and he's going to prepare a reward for you. Isn't that fun? I was in Africa teaching this and I came back in after our break and when I came back in, they had written a song running for my father. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to tell you that my eyes began to leak and I stood there like a big puddle, but that's what happened. Wow. Who do we run for? We can all make the mental thought, yeah, I run for my father. But do you hear him saying, I love to watch you run? I prepared something for you because I love to watch you run. When I was working with students, we'd say there's two kinds of people. The kind of people that run to find love and the kind of people that run because they are loved. Which are we? Do we run because God loves us or do we run so he will? The second one is, the second one is not as good. We run because we're loved. And Jesus then starts in verse, in, in, in verse 19 and he says, So lay up for yourself treasures 
in heaven. That is not an instruction about giving and tithing. That is an instruction about running. Does that make sense? He's not trying to say, listen, uh, you can't serve God in money. It wasn't, his emphasis wasn't that. His emphasis was, don't you just remember I said your father loves you and he sees you and he's going to reward you. He's paying attention to you. So run and put your treasures there. Isn't that fun? That's what God's asking us to do. But we lose, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of that because what we end up doing is we end up breaking it into sentences and verses, themes and ideas, and we miss the fact that God's just simply saying to you and me, I've got a kingdom. You're in it. Let's put our treasures into that. Let's lay them up there. I want to read that to you, and then I would just make um, uh, four decisions that we might make. Let's read it together. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He's already said the Father's going to give us treasures. So aim for those. Those are better. Your Father's going to reward you. He says, so lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The, lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He's going to love one and hate the other, or he will hate one and love the other. You cannot serve God in money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or drink? about your body or what you will put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They, they don't sow and they don't reap. They just gather or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father, isn't that beautiful? Your heavenly Father. Soak that in for a second. Your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. My heavenly Father. He feeds them. And are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of his life? What are you anxious about? Clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. My wife and I like to go to Daffodil Hill once a year. Watch the, just the colors. Stand there and think, there's no artist that can paint like this, but my father can. He says, Check this out. He says, even Solomon in all of his splendor cannot compare to what God does there. And so if God, <laughs> and so if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today and then tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? How will we, what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Oh, man. We should stop there and just soak that in for a second. Your 
Heavenly Father knows. Anybody worried about money? Your Heavenly Father knows. Anybody worried about COVID and health? Your Heavenly Father knows. Anybody worried about family? Your Heavenly Father knows. In the kingdom, when we run for a father because we are loved, my father knows. I can trust him. My father knows. And then he says this. <laughs> but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day and its own trouble. When Jesus is giving this message, he didn't divide it by verses. He didn't divide it by topics. He took people on a journey through the this, 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 what we have, Matthew 5 through 7, and he said, listen, I have so much more than you know, and it's the kingdom. And I need you just to kind of shift your attention, shift your affection, shift your energy into understanding that I'm your father, and I'm going to take care of you. And I will, I will not miss anything. Can I tell you a secret? On the day that my daughter started to cry, Remember that story? Not one person noticed but her father. Her cousins didn't stop and say, Oh, Katie, come on, stay with us, you little jerks. <laughs> they didn't do that. Her brother didn't say, Katie, I'm slow, I'll, I'll come in. Her father knows. And your father knows. He pays attention, he's watching. Here's four decisions that, that we might want to make in response to this part of the Bible. Maybe we need to separate our kingdoms. There's a kingdom in which God is our Father and there's a kingdom in which politics is our Master. There's a kingdom in which God is our father and there's a kingdom in which social, economic, all these things become our master. And I'm not saying we don't live in the reality of that, of that world, but it is not our home. And it's not our father. And it's not our master. And Jesus says, listen, you have to separate your kingdoms if you want to run for your father. If you want to run for your father, there's going to be a reward in heaven. You're putting treasures in the right place. Nothing can get to them. Or you can build a kingdom here that is yours. How's that going to work for us? There will be no lasting value of it. Thieves will break in and steal. And don't a lot of us feel the anxiety of what's been, been taken from us in the last 40 years in our nation? Nothing in the kingdom of God has ever been taken from me. Nothing has ever been taken from you. It's only when I blend the kingdoms that I feel that way. You can't take my salvation, you can't take my Jesus, and you can't take my mission. There's not a rule, not a law, not a standard, not a boundary that can steal that from you. When Jesus is your king and your kingdom is his. You with me on that? Sometimes I just think we maybe need to separate. 
our kingdoms. Can I give you another decision we might need to make? We need to begin to say, I decide to trust you, Jesus. To live for you and your kingdom, no matter how hard it gets. No matter how hard it gets. No matter how difficult it becomes, that's the choice I'm going to make. I was having a conversation with my brother. He's four years older than me. He's actually a genius IQ. He's a brilliant man. I love him with all my heart. And we were talking years back, and he's probably going to watch this later, so hey. Um, and he was telling me when he, when he first came back into, into faith, pastors need to stand up. Churches need to stand up. I've heard that, by the way, every week. And I'm going to say it's poppycock. That's because that's church swearing. Right? <laughs> Pastors don't need to stand up. Churches don't need to stand up. We might need to kneel down and say, God, I trust that what you have prepared for me will not be taken away, and I'm going to trust that my reward genuinely, truly is in heaven, and that's where I'm going to aim it. And the only thing that you can take to heaven is someone else. The only thing that is eternal is God, His Word, and people. And we live for so many other things. And God's saying, no, listen, maybe I just need to make a decision. I'm going to trust my king when he says, seek first the kingdom that the reward really is worth it. I saw this note today, and or not today, but yesterday, and it had how all the different apostles died and where they died and the kind of death that they died. And as I sat there looking at that, reading it, I just began to cry because it reminds me that what Jesus is worth. He's worth all my time, my energy, and my effort. And the book of Revelation is not about a beast or a mark or a microchip that Bill Gates is making. That, throw that stuff away. It's about the worthiness of a king who says, I'm going to stand on the great I am. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And I'm about ready to wrap up this program. And in the end, I will wipe every tear from your eye. Now declare my worth even if it costs you. That's what it's about. That's the story of the book of Revelation. It's not about a beast with horns that rises out of a sea. It's about a Jesus who's worth everything. And maybe, maybe we could make a decision based upon Jesus' words that I'm going to declare and trust that no matter how hard it gets, His kingdom means more to me than this. Maybe we can make a decision to aim for a better bank. Bank in heaven. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. What would happen if everybody here today said this? For the rest of my life, I'm just going to see how full we can get heaven. For the rest of my life, I'm going to see how many people I can love in a way that they believe Jesus is true. For the rest of my life, I will risk conversations. I will risk Everything just to make that happen. Can I tell you what? Heaven's going to be so sweet if we do, isn't it? We're going to stand in heaven someday and somebody's going to come put their arm around you and go, hey, you said he was worthy. And because you said he was worthy and lived that way, I found he's worthy too. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's how we want to live. That's the church we're becoming. 
That's what we're working on now. That's why we do a trunk or treat. That's why we pray. Pray. That's why we're doing unleashing your disciple making DNA because we want to live and learn to be that way every day of our life because that's how we aim for a better bank. And maybe here's the last decision. Just don't be distracted. Just don't get distracted. How easily I get distracted. Anybody ever go on YouTube? Right? I do. I'll go on YouTube and say, okay, I need to figure out, I need to figure out how to cook this meal for my family. And 30 minutes later, I'm figuring out how to rebuild a boat motor. And I don't even have one. I'm so easily distracted. I'm so easily distracted in an election year to think that what happens here in the United States of America has any bearing on the plan of my Savior. I'm so distracted here to think that anything that the world can do can stand up against a God who said, let there be light and it was light. Let there be fish and there were fish. You know how God makes trees? Trees. I'm so distracted to think that anything has more value than Jesus. Nothing does. And maybe, maybe we can make a decision that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things is not the promise of God that you will be rich. It is the promise of God that he, he is worthy, and anything He wants you to have, you'll have. And when you don't have it, it's probably because He's determined He's got something better that might even usher you into His presence. Maybe we could make those decisions together as a church so that when we look forward and say, what's the future of East Parkway? Because someday months from now, you're going to have a new pastor. And he's going to stand in front of you and he's going to open the word with you. And you know what our job is? Our job is to hand him a church of people who are saying, man, we're equipped, we're ready, let's go. How do we do it? What do we do? Put us in, coach, we're ready. And I got to tell you what, if I was that pastor of that church, I'd do this. What? This is amazing. I can't wait to be here. That's what we're working on. That's what Jesus was teaching us. I've been asking you to read the Sermon on the Mount every day. You're going to get an email tomorrow, and it's going to be the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to take all the verses and chapters out. It's just going to be the words. And we're going to finish our series, and I'm asking you to read it without any chapters or verses for the next couple weeks while we finish and wrap up this series. Andre, can we send that out tomorrow? Thank you. Melinda, you guys are amazing. These people, they go, what's he going to make us do now? So, um, By the way, you know they're terrific, right? Yes, we, we, we owe everything to them. See, the reality of it is, is that I want us to begin to see Scripture in light of the big story God's telling not in light of whether or not I should pray, fast, give, 
serve? Those questions, we already know the answers to those. I had a friend say, I'm praying about giving. I said, stop it. Just do it. You don't have to ask God if he wants you to. We already know he does. I'm praying about loving my neighbor. Stop it. Just do it. And when we start looking here at what Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't go praying about that stuff. Just do it. Seek first my kingdom. Can we pray together? Father, you're so good to us. It's crazy how good you are and how many ways that you love us and how many ways you tell us that and the ways that you prove that to us. And Wow, and Lord, we got to come to communion and, and take your cup and, your, and, your, and the bread and uh, we're embraced by you. And, and then we get to be in your word. And Lord, people all over the world don't get the privilege we've had this last hour of our lives. There's three billion people who don't even know about you yet. And here we are. So God, don't let a second of it be wasted on us as we seek first the kingdom of God. Your righteousness. Fill us with gratitude, not anxiety. In Jesus' name, amen.